Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, February 4th, 2018, on the basis of 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. For the past several weeks, we have been talking about these deep and profound needs that all of us as human beings have, that all of us as human beings are really on a quest for. And we've seen how that quest often does a great deal to explain human behavior, even human behavior that would maybe seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum, even human behavior that at times seems to be very, very odd. In fact, a couple weeks ago, you might remember that I tried to offer an explanation for what might be considered the strangest human behavior going on in our world right now, this trend of teenagers eating Tide Pods. Now, if that strikes you as a little bit strange, I want to tell you about someone I know of whose diet maybe sounds just as odd. This person drinks regularly about 25 glasses of water a day. He avoids refined sugars and carbohydrates. He eats things like dandelion greens and drinks cups of bone broth. If this person is looking for something sweet to eat after dinner, he might go to his signature trademark dessert, a heaping bowl of avocado ice cream. That probably sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? And yet some of you might know the person I'm talking about. The person I'm talking about is NFL quarterback Tom Brady. In just a couple of hours, Tom Brady is going to be playing in his record eighth Super Bowl. Just last night, he was awarded the NFL's MVP honor, and he's doing all of this at the age of 40, far longer than most people have been able to play quarterback, much less play it well. And at least in his opinion, his strange diet is part of what has enabled him to do so. I also want to tell you a little bit about a couple I know of named Dave and Mindy. One day, Dave and Mindy decided to start making some changes in their lives. They decided to start selling off a bunch of their possessions. In her free time, Mindy picked up a part-time job. They started making their kids pay for their own clothing. They stopped spending their quarterly bonuses and their annual income tax returns. They even let another family move into their basement for a while just so they could collect the rent money. Again, some of that probably strikes you as a bit odd. And yet in just three years' time, Dave and Mindy went from having $400,000 of debt to being totally and completely debt-free. If someone has a purpose, a mission, a goal that they want to accomplish more than anything else, they are often willing to do just about anything, including some things that seem really, really odd. In fact, God made us, and we thrive on having a goal, having a purpose, having a mission, knowing that our lives carry with them significance. In fact, in the absence of those things, we flounder, we struggle, we despair. If someone doesn't have a reason to go out and do really, really odd things, or even just a reason to get out of bed in the morning, that can be a serious, serious struggle. And so thankfully, as we look at these verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today, we're going to see the very thing that we've seen throughout this series. That yes, in a very real way, all of us are on a quest for a lot of things, including a purpose for our lives. And yet, the really good news is that the one who has that purpose, who has that mission, 
he is on a quest for us. All the while that we are looking for purpose for our lives, God is out looking for us to give us the very thing that our hearts so desperately want. Now, if having a, a sense of purpose and a clear direction for your life sometimes makes you go out and do really, really odd things, then it shouldn't surprise us one bit that the Apostle Paul was very often considered to be quite odd. In fact, the context of these verses that are in front of us today are that Paul is defending himself against the accusation of being out of his mind. Not just odd, but completely out of his mind. Why would a man, after all, choose a life where he was always on the road, where he simply traveled from city to city to deliver a message to whomever he met? Why would he deliver that very same message regardless of who was listening and regardless of how it was received? Why would he continue to deliver that message even as it often led to him being ridiculed, led to him being beaten, led to him being thrown in prison? Why would Paul do all of those things? Well, Paul has a very clear and simple answer. He says, Christ's love compels us. When you hear that word compel, I want you to picture a tube of toothpaste. How do you get the toothpaste that is inside of that tube to come out? There's really just one way, right? You apply pressure. You squeeze it. Why did Paul do so many odd things? That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying that there is this external force that was pushing on all sides, that was squeezing him, and then as a result, this desire to do all of these odd things just, just came out. Christ's love compels us. He goes on to elaborate a little bit. He says, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the epitome of the love that he is talking about is the fact that Christ was willing to die in our place. And in the place of every single human being, Christ died for all so that we would not have to die. It was that love that produced in Paul a desire to live, not for himself, but to live for the one who had died for him. Maybe we could picture a prison inmate who is on death row. During his time in prison, that death row inmate might have all kinds of different ways that he can spend his time, different activities that he might do. He might decide that he's going to work out for three hours a day and just get absolutely ripped. He might decide that he's going to read dozens and dozens of books and just learn about all of the things in life that have fascinated him over the years, all kinds of things that he might decide to do. But I think you would agree that his certain and impending death would sort of damper his drive and his desire to accomplish those goals. In fact, you're probably aware that very often before being put to death, those death row inmates are asked what they would like for their last meal. Do you know what the most common answer is? Nothing. Certain and impending death sort of has a way of rendering everything in our lives to be absolutely meaningless. But now imagine if a friend of that inmate came along, stepped up and and took the guilt for whatever crime had been committed. Even though that friend was completely innocent and the man was in fact guilty, the friend decided to take all of the guilt and as a result also took the punishment. So that friend was put to death and the man got to go free. On that man's first day out of prison, 
Do you think the possibilities for what he might do and how he might spend his time had sort of opened up a bit? Do you think he had more options for how he would spend the remainder of his days? Well, sure. And yet I'm guessing that the man's own whims and his own personal desires would not be the only driving factor determining what he wanted to do with the rest of his life. No, it would be his friend's love that would compel him. And in fact, if that friend had had something that was really important to him, something that he really wanted to see accomplished, in all likelihood that man would make his friend's mission his mission. Friends, there are all kinds of people who are going through life without a clear sense of purpose or direction, without having clear and burning answers to the questions, what am I doing here? What does God want me to be up to? And if you've ever gone through that or ever met anyone who's going through that, you know it can be a really, really difficult thing. And whether people always realize it or not, there's a reason for that. There's a reason we struggle with finding a sense of purpose. It's death. Death as a way of taking everything that we might do in our lives and rendering it sort of meaningless. In terms of this sense of purpose that we want to have, we're not content simply to have small things, to make a small impact. We want to have an impact and have a purpose that is great and lasting and enduring. And death makes all of that impossible. It's also why if we pick the wrong thing, it's not going to do the trick. If we make it our life's purpose to just have constant happiness and comfort, to enjoy unbridled pleasure, to amass huge amounts of wealth or enjoy widespread fame and popularity, even if we achieve those things, they will inevitably let us down. In fact, even Tom Brady would tell you. Tom Brady has told people that even five Super Bowl rings don't do the trick. We were made to long for things even bigger than that. And so, friends, thankfully, this purpose, this clear sense of mission that we so desperately long for, it's not something that we need to go out and find. It's not something that we need to go out and invent or discover for ourselves. It's something that came and found us. Christ Jesus is the friend who willingly stepped up and took all of our guilt and as a result also took our sentence. Paul says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is that love of Christ Jesus that compels us to make his mission our mission. And friends, this mission is not just any mission. This is a mission so great, so grand, so glorious. This is a mission that doesn't just allow us to impact the lives of one or a few people. This is a mission that impacts the lives of every person on earth. And this is a mission whose impact lasts for all eternity. This is the mission that satisfies those deepest longings of our heart. And yet I feel like I need to warn you. Because as this mission becomes your mission, inevitably it's going to cause you to do some really, really odd things. Paul talks about those odd things in these verses, and he focuses specifically on two 
areas of our lives. He talks about the odd effect that this will have in your life, first of all, in terms of how you view other people, and then second of all, in terms of how you view yourself. Paul says it this way, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. As we encounter people in our lives, there's a normal way to look at people. The normal way to look at people is to judge them by their outward appearances or their superficial characteristics. The normal way is to value them based on how much benefit they bring to us or how well we get along with them. All of that is very, very normal. Do you know what's really, really odd? To view people the way that Jesus views people. To view every single person that you would meet the way Jesus does. To assign to every single person that you meet, regardless of their age or their gender or their occupation or their economic status or their political bent, the very same value that you know you have. This is a person for whom Jesus was willing to lay down his life. This is a person for whom Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price all so that this person could be right next to Jesus for all eternity. To look at every single person you meet that way. That is really, really odd. It's also really, really odd to view your role properly in helping that person have exactly what you have in Christ. Paul puts that this way. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So if you have something that you know is good and you meet someone who doesn't have that thing and you want to share that thing with that person because you know it is so good, there's a normal way for that to happen. And the normal way for that to happen is for us to view ourselves as sort of opinion sharers or advice givers. You really got to try out this new restaurant. The food is fantastic. You should really check out this gym that I've joined. The rates are, are really low and the classes are amazing. But there are implications to viewing yourself as an advice giver or an opinion sharer. First of all, if it's, if it's something that is just kind of sort of important to you, you'll probably take an opportunity to share your opinion. But if it's not received, if it's rejected, you'll, you'll probably be okay with that and you'll just leave it at that. On the other hand, if it's something that's very, very important to you and you're absolutely convinced that you're right, then when someone doesn't receive your advice or rejects your opinion, odds are you're just going to get a little bit more forceful about it. You're going to raise your voice. You're going to get angry. You're going to launch into a tirade on social media. Whatever the case might be, you're just going to exert your will so that that person shares your opinion. All of that, very, very normal. You know what's odd? What's odd is to view yourself as an ambassador of God. To view yourself as someone who is not sharing an opinion or giving advice, but simply delivering a message that is absolutely true, whether anyone believes it or not. And not just a message that is absolute fact, but a message that is necessary fact. The message that only in Christ Jesus can forgiveness and salvation be found. When you view yourself as an ambassador for God, you will simply share that message when the opportunity presents itself, no matter who is listening and no matter how it is received. And you will do so 
with just a complete calm and confidence, knowing that the message is true and knowing whom you represent. And again, all of that is very, very odd. So what exactly is this going to look like in your life? Well, you heard how with Jonah, it meant going to the far-off city of Nineveh and preaching to the entire city a message of repentance. For Paul, it meant traveling all over the Mediterranean world, going from city to city to deliver this very same message. You heard how with Peter and Andrew and James and John, it meant leaving behind their jobs and their lives and their families and following Jesus to fish for people. Here's the beautiful thing about the mission that God gives us. It doesn't and it won't look exactly the same for each and every person. This isn't something that God does just through a select few group of people. It's not something that you can either do all of the time with your life or none of the time with your life. It's not something that in order to carry it out, you need to, to completely change everything about your life and leave behind your job, your family, your home, whatever the case might be. No, but it does mean that suddenly with this mission as your mission, everything that is in your life, well, it changes. You start looking at people not as assets that you need to take advantage of, not as annoyances that you need to tolerate and put up with, but you start looking at people as precious souls for whom Jesus died. And you start looking for opportunities to share with them this good news. You look at your children, and you suddenly realize that the most important thing is not whether or not they make the varsity team or the honor roll but rather that they know their Savior and stay in that faith all the days of their life. You start looking at your time and your money, and you're completely set free from the curse of stressing out over things and losing sleep over things that ultimately will perish and spoil and fade anyways. And you instead look at that time and that money and you think, man, I, I get to use some of this to invest in things that will be paying dividends for all eternity. Friends, I think you would agree that all of that is very, very odd. The beautiful thing is that God will carry out this mission in and through us in a wide variety of different ways and using a wide variety of different roles. Mother and father, son, daughter, employer, employee, classmate, church member, pastor. God will carry out that same mission with all of us in all of our unique circumstances. In fact, again, it, it kind of reminds me of toothpaste. I hate being the one to go to Walgreens and buy toothpaste when we run out. Do you know why? There's a million different options. There's about six or ten different brands of toothpaste, and then underneath each one there's about 15 different products, and you, you look at that giant wall of toothpaste, and who's to know which one you're supposed to get? And yet, of course, at the end of the day, Everything in those tubes is in one way, shape, or form toothpaste. And there's still just one way to get it out, to squeeze. Friends, in the very same way, God will accomplish his mission in all kinds of different ways and using all kinds of different roles that his people occupy. But, but one thing ties them all together. As we carry out that mission, much of what we do will look very, very odd. And yet, as we continue to come in contact with Christ's love, the love of the one who died in our place so that we wouldn't have to, that love 
will in fact continue to squeeze out of us every last ounce of odd in service to that glorious mission. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.